your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Wandale in motion from the right to the left. Ramir Johnson in the back. Adrian turns, gives it off to Ramir to the 10, to the 5. He dives, fumbles the football in the end zone, but it doesn't matter. It's a touchdown, Nebraska. He crossed the plane before the ball came out, and the Huskers, for the first time today, have a lead. Sports Nightly is presented by the NDOT Highway Safety Office, who reminds you to buckle up and put the phone down. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Here we are, Sports Nightly, Wednesday night. Thank you so much for spending some of your time with us. We have a fabulous show lined up for you tonight. We're going we're gonna to have not one but two Husker head coaches coming your way later tonight. Hour two, it's our men's basketball show for the week. So Fred Hoiberg will be here to take your comments, questions, calls. We'll talk Husker hoops with the head coach for an hour. And then Amy Williams will be along for the women's basketball show in hour number three. So looking forward to talking to her. They open their season on Friday against ORU. In fact, we're going to put that on the full network on Friday night beginning at 6 o'clock. So that's going to be fun to have her on and her, hear her team play on Friday night for the first time this year. The men got their third victory last night, holding off the Coyotes of South Dakota, 76-69. to And let's start there, Ben. It was when we talked earlier in the week about what great starts Nebraska had had uh, to begin games, that wasn't the case last night, and that's okay. You're not going to be able to do that night in and night out. So they had to kind of fight their way through it a little bit, but the win's a win, and you move on to the next one. Yeah, and I think you know that's that that again. You always want to take the learning experiences with wins over losses if you can help it. And and this team's not going to come out and shoot the lights out or have their best offense every night. It's just it's just the the nature of the beast. And you got to find ways to win other other uh other ways other than just, you know, making three-pointers or whatever. Um, you know, required some adjusting. I heard from coach Hoiberg after the the game and, you know, his his comments were interesting just on Nebraska's schedule. Um, you know, testing at 7:30 in the morning and then tipping at 8 o'clock at night. I think, you know, the coaches and um, even the support staff are probably going to have to find ways to handle the schedule when you have those night games, uh, when you're testing that early, keeping those kids awake for 12 hours, and then at the end of your day, having them ramp up uh, a com- competition and play 40 minutes of basketball, it, it's probably not the easiest thing. So you know, I, I think last night was just a, a learning experience, how, how you do with um, – you know the physical fatigue, the mental fatigue, dealing with your schedules, and you know just trying to make you know make it work and find something that the coaches are comfortable with. But wins a win, check it off, move on to the next one. One thing that did happen last night was a second half takeover by Teddy Allen. My goodness, did he just kind of grab a hold of that game and say, "All right, boys, I'll lead us to the to the finish line tonight." He ended up with twenty three points and just was he was clearly the best player on the floor in the second twenty minutes of last night's game. Yeah, I mean, you you really saw his versatility, and you know, Teddy isn't the you know probably the guy you pick out as the most athletic. You know, going through layup lines or warm ups, you know, you're you're probably not picking him first. You know, based on looks, but you saw how effective he can be. He's so big and strong with the ball. He can drive to the hoop. Uh, we've seen his range. We've seen how active he is defensively in the top ten in the nation in steals. Uh, I mean, he can just do so many different things. And 
Um, you know, really the the one thing that we have yet to see at a consistent level is Teddy from the free throw line. He shot nearly 90% there last year uh, in uh, junior college. I know he hasn't been particularly great at the line this year, but, you know, that starts to come. He starts getting fouled and, you know, can make make good percentage of his free throws. He's a weapon, and you can see when he's streaky and he's up, he's really hard to stop because he can do a lot of different things. And that's that's where having guys like Delano Banton, Trey McGowans, and Kobe Webster help you, Greg, because they can create for guys like Teddy Allen if he's not creating himself. So um, I think you know we have seen through these first handful of games the impact that Teddy Allen can have on a game. Yeah, he's fun when he's in the – it's fun to watch anybody when they kind of get in that zone. JP, James Palmer used to do that a couple of years ago for this team. You're like, not going to miss, not going to miss. And then and, – and not that Teddy didn't miss some last night. He did, but uh, he certainly got himself into that groove. And uh, you could tell he wanted the basketball. He kind of wanted to lead that team a little bit last night, and that was fun to see. Defensively, I thought they were okay last night. Not maybe great at times, but I thought that they – did a pretty nice job, and South Dakota did some nice nice things. You always need to compliment the opponent, I think, when they deserve it, and I think the Coyotes did. I think they played pretty well and maybe about as high a level as they could, but you know, I think it's still a work in progress. I can't wait to talk to the coach tonight. He's now seen his team play four times here in a week. That's a lot of basketball early in the year, but that's what you want, isn't it, Ben, to, to see your team, and then you can go into the film room and really break some things down. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and Fans are probably tired of hearing of it because of the last last year and even this year, but this team hasn't really played together. You know, they didn't get their their super secret scrimmage. They didn't get an exhibition game. And these these guys are learning, you know, all about playing with one another, uh, the chemistry, what the rotation looks like. And as we found out for the first time last night, Greg, what happens when you get a couple of key players in foul trouble early? So all these lessons, you know, you can learn – and and prepare for the for a rigorous Big Ten conference, and hopefully you see a lot of different situations. The one thing we um, saw against Nevada is a late game situation, and you know th- those are the types of things that you you really can't replicate in practice. You can try, you can rep them, but once you're in the games, you know it's just it's a different animal. So there's a lot of benefit to come out of these. Huskers ended up winning the rebounding battle. That's been a bit of an issue the first couple of games. They outboarded the Yotes, forty six to thirty eight. Uh, not bad for the free throw line, 21 of 30. They've got some guys struggling from the line. Teddy Allen struggling, and I don't think he's a bad free throw shooter, Ben. I think he's just kind of been in a funk a little bit. Ivan, different story, but not Teddy. Uh, so I think he'll get that figured out. They were 7 of 24 on threes. You can probably live with that, but it's a win. It's a win. You move on. You're 3-1. You get ready for Florida A&M on Sunday. Only three non-conference games left for this team. Uh, the Florida A&M game, and then a week from tonight, it's Georgia Tech, part of the Big Ten ACC Challenge, and then uh, next Friday, it's at Creighton, and that'll be it. That'll be the seven non-conference games for the Huskers, and then they get a full week off, about 10 days off to get ready for Wisconsin uh, to start league play on the 21st of December. Again, we'll have a lot more basketball chatter coming your way in hour number two with the head coach the other big story of the day another cancellation of big 10 football the michigan wolverines matchup at maryland has been called off and the trend has been for teams if you miss a week because you have COVID issues you you generally miss two weeks now ohio state is trying to buck that trend no pun intended because they missed last week's game at illinois but they're now back practicing and hoping to play Saturday at Michigan State. In fact, we're going to have we're going into a Big Ten blitz here in a little bit 
And we're going to ha- have a reporter on from Columbus to get the latest on what's been going on this week for Ohio State's team. But there's already thought and seeds being planted in the mind that if Michigan's out this week, they would be out next week, which would be a game against Ohio State. And if Ohio State misses one more game, they don't get the six, which is the number that you have to have to play for a Big Ten championship. These were the rules laid out, voted on, approved. I guess they voted. I guess the presidents and chancellors voted. That's that's tongue-in-cheek. I shouldn't do that. Um, but six is the game, and that's where Wisconsin can't get there, so they're kind of out, It's was in, and plus they don't have the tiebreaker with Northwestern. And if Ohio State misses one more either this week with Michigan State or the Michigan game, they would be out. And that would be awfully hard, I think, for the college football playoff with that few of games for Ohio State to put them in the playoff. So there's some major panic, Ben, going on around the league about, oh, maybe we need to shuffle some things over. If if Michigan can't go next week, we need to find a different opponent. Um, sorry, Rutgers, you'd be out of a game. Let Maryland play Ohio State so they get another game. So now it sounds like we are um, uh, maybe thinking about changing the rules for Ohio State. What are your thoughts of all this? Yeah, surprises me zero. Um, you know, I think that I, I've really tried to give this conference the benefit of the doubt and Kevin Warren the benefit of the doubt as long as I possibly could. Um, I've said some pretty hostile things about our commissioner um, since this whole thing started, and I think all has been warranted. But this this is embarrassing. I mean, honestly, this is absolutely embarrassing to be a part of something like this right now. Um this conference is a joke. Uh, it's it's laughable. Um, I respect so many things about Ohio State, Greg. That that program is in the top five in the country in a lot of ways, and it would be easy for them to kind of lift their nose at every other school in the Big Ten. I don't get unless you're Michigan. I don't really get the sense that they do that. I mean, this isn't a deal where. You know, if this is the Big 12 where Texas was running their mouths and, you know, trying to control. I don't see Ohio State doing that themselves when they very easily could. So, first of all, this is not a shot at Ohio State because I think they've handled this brilliantly. And I, you know, and I have no qualms with how Ohio State has handled this deal. But what's happening is you're getting people that have covered this league for a long time involved and their opinions in this deal to try and stick up for the big 10 and and what's happened is this disaster because you don't have any leadership or communication at all from the league office when was the last time kevin warren gave any public comments on his season that he laid out i mean this is this is becoming an absolute joke everybody knew this was going to happen games were going to get canceled no built-in buys um, it was going to be a train wreck, and, and it's becoming that. And and so inevitably it was going to affect a team competing for the top, whether it be Wisconsin, whether it be Ohio State. <laughs> Irony of 2020 just so happened to affect both of them. Um, you know, I think that now that Wisconsin is taken out of this and Ohio State is taken out of this, potentially people are rising up and, and, and asking questions and um, – we all knew this was going to happen if it, if it was Ohio State, and and that was the big question, and that was the question that um, you know we we threw out in the show. If this if this was Ohio State, would they be treated differently? 
And we're finding out that the answer is yes. I'm getting real tired of Barry Alvarez going on other shows and you know, he was on a, a show in Michigan. He was on a, or was interviewed by a sh- uh, paper in Michigan, you know, giving quotes about uh, the scheduling and how, you know, if this is affects Ohio State, then we're going to have to look at it. Like, why should the Wisconsin athletic director have that much power? That That is absolutely mind boggling to me that, you know, he can start throwing around these types of comments and get away with it. I mean, this league is an absolute embarrassment right now. I mean, Greg, we're hearing more from the Wisconsin athletic director on what's right from the Big Ten than our own commissioner. Like, what what is going on? This is this is an absolute embarrassment for the league, and you know, Nebraska is getting a lot of crap from a lot of people, from a lot of reporters over the last few months. And the funny part is, Nebraska has been dead right in every single one of their opinions since this whole thing started. And, and what turned into everybody laughing at Nebraska or poking at Nebraska has turned into the reality. And, and I just it, – it blows my mind how so many people of, in, in positions of opinion and power can have no idea, just be so utterly clueless when it comes to football in 2020, yet here we are. And so, no, it wouldn't shock me if, you know, everything is put in place to say, all right, Ohio State, here's your gift to the – to the Big Ten championship, and you go win that game, and shoot, maybe we'll just we'll we'll take all Northwestern's games away and make make Ohio State play, you know, the the last place team in the West, which could end up being Nebraska for the Big Ten championship. So that way, you can have a spot in the playoff. I mean, it's this is just it's an absolute ju- like you literally can't make it up. You, right. you cannot make this up. Right, and, and you're right though. Nebraska has been proven right in in about every step of the way in this thing, and yet Nebraska was the punching bag. Nebraska was the John Deere tractor driving fans that have no idea what's right or what's wrong, and the highbrows of the Big Ten know what's right and what's wrong. And you just go plow your fields out there in the middle of nowhere and shut up. We'll take care of this whole thing. No, no, no. You can't play Ch- Tennessee Chattanooga. You can't go schedule a game. Come on, you can't do that. And Nebraska put out a statement when they were told no on Chattanooga saying, we're doing this for the entire league. Yeah, it may benefit us this week, but it may benefit somebody in a month or so that may really need this yeah. game to be a part of the playoff. And they're exactly right. And now you have some national media people going, oh, yeah, maybe maybe they had a point back there in October. Yeah. And league, non-league, it doesn't matter. 2020 football season was all about how many games can we play safely. How right. many Nebraska didn't go schedule Tennessee Chattanooga because they could beat them. They they had strict protocols on testing, who was open, who was flexible, who could get here. Just by meeting those criteria, you take 90 to 95 percent of the teams away because, you know, they, they found who was left of that small. We'll just say five percent. I don't know how many it ended up being, but we'll just say it's hypothetically five percent. You know, all of those teams that were available were probably teams Nebraska was better than. So to, to find that criteria of somebody that could get to Lincoln, it wasn't about um, Ralph Russo from the AP was taking shots at Nebraska today because Nebraska wanted to s- schedule Tennessee Chattanooga to hang 50 on them and feel better about it. That wasn't the point. The point is to play a football game safely and get it. Why else would Tennessee Chattanooga want to come up here? Besides getting paid, they want opportunities for their team to play. That's what this whole thing has been about. And I just still understand how people are getting paid from national respected outlets to and then and they don't see that. I just don't right. understand. Blinded to it. It's unbelievable. And and yeah, on Ralph's point, 
You don't think Nebraska would have benefited by playing a game? And even if they did hang 50 on Chattanooga, wouldn't that have helped Nebraska be more competitive against Northwestern the next week than sitting on their hands on a Saturday? Absolutely. It might have it sharpened Nebraska up and given them enough confidence that they might have won the game at Northwestern the next week. Let's plug in a couple of calls before we go to a break. Sean in Omaha, you're going to join us first tonight. Good evening. Yeah, I brought this up a long time ago with the commissioner of the Big Ten where he had a lack of influence over all the big shots like Barry Alvarez, Ohio State, overall and making any decision. He's put in a bad spot. And then the other thing is everybody, even Nebraska, can't call him out because he's a first-year guy. There's some political correctness I won't bring up. Plus, he's an attorney. He's going to look at what's best financially for the league as far as lawsuits and not think what's best for the program as far as the sports and how it affects the university. And that's what I got. That's the big things, that the guy is inexperienced and everybody's hands were tied a little bit for uh, going against it. Good stuff. Sean, appreciate it. Thanks for the call. Yeah, and, and hey, I'm not going to defend Kevin Warren. I will say he got thrown into the fire right away. First year's commissioner, and boom, you get hit with a worldwide pandemic. I mean, you just can't prepare for something like that. But the Big Ten has looked horrible in putting this whole thing together. They have made so many mistakes since this thing, the onset of this thing came in March. The Big Ten Blitz. Illinois. And here to talk about the Illini, Steve Kelly of the Illinois Network. Last week, Illinois had their game canceled at the 11th hour, basically. It was a Friday night cancellation. How wild was that for everybody back there, Steve? That was pretty crazy, Greg. Uh, I finally got the word about 9.30 on uh, Friday night. So all the wheels started turning, not only for me and the network, but for everybody involved. And uh, as the story kind of unfolded, especially on Friday when it was revealed that uh, Ohio State coach Ryan Day had uh, tested positive and they were going to bump their flight from the afternoon to the evening and then from the evening into the morning on Saturday. I, I kind of had a feeling then, but we got the official word about 9.30 Friday night. Well, so the line I have not played since they left Lincoln, and I, I was really impressed with the way Illinois played against Nebraska. And I'll tell you, Steve, I don't know that I've seen Brandon Peters play better. What were your impressions of that game? I think that's right. He's had some bigger numbers as far as passing yards. I think he had 205 in that game. But as far as completion percentage, 18 out of 25, and, and the way he kind of ran the offense, and when you get the ground game going the way it uh, was going that day and has been for the last couple of weeks I thought he was very efficient and very effective and I think he even would agree that that was his best game for in the orange and blue and that probably made not playing last week a little disappointing because when you play well as a team coaching staff you want to keep going and I and I know it was the Ohio State it was a big challenge last week but there's got to be a pretty good feeling around that team right now I would guess there is there's some momentum they've still got a two-game winning streak intact Iowa comes in kind of the same way. They've won four straight, and it's interesting that Nebraska is the last opponent for both these teams uh, coming into this ball game. And Illinois holds a three-game lead in this long-time series with the Hawkeyes, but Iowa's coming on strong. They've won nine of the last ten, including six straight. Well, what do you expect out of this one? I mean, I'm sure it's going to be a really physical slugfest, I would gather, on Saturday when these two play. 
Yeah, two years ago here it was ugly. It was 63 to nothing, Hawkeyes. Last year in Iowa City, it was a 19 to 10 game. I talked to Brandon Peters today, and he remembers that game very well. He he uh, was knocked out of the game late in the game on a on a hit. But he also, what he remembered more about that was the three turnovers that he, that he had in that ball game. So even at that, it was only a nine-point game. So I think it'll be a typical Big Ten game. Iowa plays, you know, that uh, rough neck uh, uh, football on both sides of the ball. I think Illinois feels like they've got a good chance, and that if they can get that done, they'd be three and three on the season going to Northwestern next week. But uh, Iowa still comes in about a two-touchdown favorite. How about injury situations, COVID issues? Where are where where are the Illini with those things right now? Well, they lost a couple of guys that are not COVID related. Uh, Alex Palczewski, one of the, uh, the veteran offensive linemen, Alex Palczewski is out for the season. He was scheduled to go on, undergo uh, surgery this week. And linebacker Tariq Barnes, number 44, who's had a couple of good ball games underwent uh, season-ending surgery last week. Otherwise, they've got everybody uh, back and healthy as far as we know. We don't get uh, a lot of the medical reports, but I think they're as near full strength as they can be going into this game. Battle of winning streaks on Saturday. Illinois hosts Iowa 230 Central on FS1. Steve Kelly of the Illini Network. Steve, as always, we appreciate it. Always enjoy visiting with you, Greg. Thank you. Wisconsin. And here to talk about the Badgers is Ben Wurgle from Badger Nation. Last week, Wisconsin's game with Minnesota canceled because of issues with COVID within the Gopher program. Had to be frustrating, Ben, to come off the, the game with Northwestern and then have your next one canceled, which in the mathematic sense of things means an awful lot, I would think, to the Badger program. Well, I, I think you look at, I think, where these players are. And after a loss, you want to get right back out there and you want to start competing again. I know from talking to some of the players, after the game and lean into the cancellation of that game, they were anxious to get back out there and correct some of the mistakes that they made. You know, they played really well defensively, just giving up 17 points, really kind of locked things down in the second half. But offensively, they were just a mess. Um, and, you know, part of that, too, is a young quarterback facing a really good defense, and they're missing some pieces, too, at the wide receiving core. But there just wasn't that flow that we had seen through the first two games. And this has been such a weird year because of just the disjointed scheduling with Wisconsin. You, know, you play a game, then you miss two games. Then you play two games, then you miss another game. There just hasn't been that real ability for them to get into a rhythm. And, you know, Wisconsin, after the loss to Northwestern, pretty much is, was on the outside looking in of winning the Big Ten West, Northwestern being undefeated at the time, having that that game as a tiebreaker. You pretty much were looking at something catastrophic happening for Wisconsin to get back into the picture. They just wanted to compete. And, you know, they've have played Minnesota every year since 1906. It's a game that means a lot, especially for the seniors. Uh, you know, play for Paul Bunyan's axe and all uh, the border breaking rights that go with it. So to not have that game for the first time in over a, you know, a century, it stings a little bit for these guys. But I know they're looking forward to getting back on the field this weekend against a good Indiana program and, and trying to get things kind of moving back in the right direction here with two weeks to go in the regular season. With the off week, Wild Goose is going to opt out and just get ready for the pros. Is that correct? Correct, yeah. He declared on uh, Friday, uh, day after Thanksgiving, that he was leaving early. He was going to head uh, to the NFL draft. Uh, surprising news, uh, at least especially the timing of it, although he did get hurt against Northwestern and did not play in the second half. So I'm sure that had something to do with it. Um, you know, both head coach Paul Chris and defensive coordinator Jim Laird 
uh, said that Wild Goose had talked to him in the offseason about, you know, making that jump to the next level. That obviously was on his mind. It seems like that injury kind of accelerated his timetable. Um, so Wisconsin's not going to be out, uh, be without one of their, their better corners. But the good thing is that Wisconsin secondary has a lot of depth, um, a lot of experience back there. So even though you lose Wild Goose, you have two seniors in Caesar Williams and Van Hicks who have played, uh, excuse me, a senior in Williams and a junior in Van Hicks. Those two have played a lot of games. They start a lot of games, and they're playing at an exceptionally high level as well. Ben, speaking of injuries, Michael Penix, the starting quarterback for Indiana, out for the year with a torn ACL. How much does that change Indiana for this matchup on Saturday? Oh, it changes a lot. I mean, Penix was leading the conference in passing yards, passing touchdowns, and completions. And just brought an element of versatility to that to that team. I mean, that's part of the reason why they're the third highest scoring offense in the Big Ten. And he, I mean, he's got a huge, you know, hand in the cookie jar with, with making that offense go. Now, how much is it going to change? We, we don't know. I mean, Jack Tuttle is going to be the starter here on Saturday. Wisconsin recruited him out of high school, played in California. He committed to Utah and then transferred to Indiana. And play in the first five games, and then was I think five for five for 31, 34 yards against Maryland um, in you know, very limited action. So, you know, the, the staff here at Wisconsin think highly of him since they recruit him, um, and you know they have faith that he's going to be a, a good asset to that offense. The offense is going to change. We just don't know how much it's going to change and where it's going to change. Um, I guess they're going to do a little bit more Wildcats. Uh, that's something that they kind of used a lot of against Maryland. Uh, India hasn't run the ball particularly well in Big Ten play. That's something they tried to establish a little bit more last week. But they're going to throw the ball. There's no question. They have some excellent wide receivers. They have a really good tight end. They're going to try to throw the ball down the field. So Indiana's offense and wide receivers against Wisconsin's secondary is going to kind of be that battle to watch in the game. The matchup of ranked teams Saturday at Camp Randall, Indiana, at Wisconsin, 2.30 Central on ABC. Ben Wurgel from Badger Nation. Ben, we appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. Ohio State. And here to talk about the Buckeyes, Joey Kaufman of the Columbus Dispatch. And, Joey, it's been a wild seven, eight days. What's, what, what has been happening today? Have the Buckeyes been practicing? What, what about is there optimism that they can play on Saturday? There is some optimism, which is a little bit of a surprise, only because so far in the Big Ten this season, we've seen teams that have been forced to cancel games due to COVID-19 outbreaks be forced to cancel not one but two games typically if you miss one game you're going to miss the second game and ohio state has gotten back on the practice field pretty quickly after an upticking in cases forced them to cancel the game uh illinois late friday night last week uh, they returned on tuesday to, uh, resuming team activities and they uh have not had a change in, in that status since they're moving ahead and and planning preparations planning to play at michigan state so nothing has knocked them off course yet since they, they restarted on Tuesday. The question is how many players are they going to be bringing up with them to East Lansing and do they continue on this uh, path that looks uh, at least at this moment uh, late Wednesday afternoon uh, favorable. Do Have they been transparent at all, Joey, about the number of players that are out right now? They have not. They have not given us uh, particulars as far as the number of players who are out um, to either do the positive tests or due to quarantine um, exposure restrictions. What we do know, and this isn't going to be dramatically helpful, they crossed the 7.5 
positivity thresholds for the, for the general population of their football program, one of the metrics that the Big Ten uses. So that means that of the 170 people they test daily for the virus, at least 13 players, coaches, and staff members uh, came back positive late last week. So that's all we know, really, just out of that, that, that group of 170, how many have tested positive, but we couldn't. They have not really given us a sense of how many players on the roster are actually affected or, or certain position groups and that sort of thing. So we're, at this point in time, I, my plan is to basically check which players come off the, come off the bus and he's playing soon. Yeah, no doubt. Is one of those, have they confirmed that Ryan Day is one of those that is infected? Yes, uh, that, that's about the, the one person we do know in the program who was tested positive. They announced last Friday afternoon that, that he had a test that, that came back positive, and he's in isolation for 10 days. So he was not playing to coach the Illinois game, and, and because he's going to be in isolation for 10 days, he will not uh, coach the Michigan State game, presuming it is held as scheduled. Larry Johnson is uh, the assistant head coach and the defensive line coach. He would be the acting head coach uh, against the Spartans if, if the game is played. Well, let's talk about that. These two have had some tremendous matchups in recent years. Obviously, Michigan State looks different now with Mel Tucker as their coach, but they're probably feeling pretty good after their upset of Northwestern last week. What about this matchup? What What are some of the particulars that interest you for this game on Saturday if it happens? I think a lot of it is, is, is not going to – I guess you could highlight position groups, but Ohio State is so overwhelmingly more talented than Michigan State. I think Michigan State really saw a recruiting drop-off toward the end of Mark D'Antonio's tenure. I just want to see which position groups are going to be potentially severely impacted for Ohio State because I would imagine whatever group that would be, Michigan State's going to be able to to exploit. In, in general, it seems like the Spartans have been able to to really kind of muck it up with some, some teams that, that play at a slower pace like Northwestern uh, last week. But I think if I think where Ohio State really poses a challenge for them, presuming the starters are healthy and that sort of thing is going to be just offensively because I don't know if they're going to be able to really slow down what, what OSU can do as far as the, the passing game between Justin Fields and, and Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson. That's where I think Michigan State or really any team in the conference is going to be able to, is going to be challenged. If it happens, it's the Buckeyes at Michigan State on Saturday, 11 o'clock Central on ABC. Joey Coughlin from the Columbus Dispatch. Joey, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you very much for having me. Tonight, it's the Nebraska Basketball Radio Show right here on the Husker Sports Network. Nine points for Stevenson. Nails both foul shots in the passing lane with a nice takeaway as McGowan's. He's got Teddy down the floor. The trailer is Ivan with a dunk. Ivan with Argo. Explodes to the rim and jams it. Great pass, McGowan's, and the finish by Ivan Wadrago. An inside look at what's going on around Nebraska basketball. Huskers uh, three points away from 197-51. Webster with the ball, gives it up to Wood, open three, deep right corner. Jace Piatkowski got it! Jace Piatkowski gives Nebraska 100 points. How sweet is that, my friends? With the head coach, Fred Hoiberg. 13-4, Big Red. McGowan's with it inside the free throw circle. Out to Lap Mayan on the left side. Popping out to catch it. It's McGowan's again behind the screen of Mayan. Puts it back out on the pick and pop. Mayan's three. Got it. The Oscars open up a 16-4 lead. Lat Mayan's trio. 
Sponsored in part by your Midwest Ford dealers. Visit online at yourmidwestforddealers.com. Now here's your host of the Nebraska Basketball Radio Show, Greg Sharp. Thank you. Welcome to the show. Here are the numbers you want to be a part of this one tonight, 531-500-4686. Either with a call or a text, we'll talk Husker Hoops for the next hour. Nebraska with a victory last night, a seven-point win over the Coyotes of South Dakota to push their record to 3-1. and one. And Coach, congratulations. We haven't talked in a couple of weeks. You've got four games under your belt. What, what have you learned about your team through those four? Those four. Well, I appreciate it, Greg. It's It's been a lot of games in a short amount of time, so I was proud of the way that we were able to finish off the game last night. It wasn't pretty uh, the entire time, but we found a way to go on a big run there in the second half, opened up an 18-point lead where I went going back and watching. I thought we did some really, really good things, both offensively and defensively. And, uh, you know, the thing that I have learned or I guess known since we've gotten this group together is – uh, they've got a lot of pride and you know the game that we lost against Nevada uh, we feel it's a game we let let go let slip away and they didn't want to see that happen again and I thought we made a lot of necessary plays there at the end I thought Shamil Stevenson came in and really uh, did a great job of guarding Umaday their their top scorer in the, in the preseason conference player of the year yesterday that was really hurting us and you know we put Shamil on him a bigger longer body uh, and he did a phenomenal job making him work for everything he got. Uh, did not finish the game well, Greg. So a lot of things that we can improve on, learning opportunities. I'm excited to get back on the practice court here the next three days leading into our next game on Sunday. Let's go back to the McNeese game, the opener. Uh, you just came flying out of the gate. You had to love the way the guys brought the energy for the season opener. Obviously, we remember last year the season opener didn't go well, but this team put their foot in the dirt and got after him right away in that game. Yeah, no, that was important. We, we knew an early game it was an 11 a.m. start. Uh, generally, the team that gets off to the fastest starts in those early games is the team that wins the, wins in the end. And I just thought we had unbelievable passion early and, and really established ourselves in the defensive end of the floor. Got deflections, uh, led to some runouts. <clears throat> Lat man got us off to a great start, hitting a couple threes right out of the gate. Uh, I thought we made simple plays. Delano on the break was phenomenal. Uh, you see how good he is in the open court making plays uh, for himself and others. And, you know, again, it was just a, a way for us to get out of the gate fast and, you know, get the game established the way we want to play with, with fast tempo and, and great pace. And I thought we carried that over for the entire 40 minutes. 27 forced turnovers in that game. Then you had 20-some the next day. How about your defense through four games? What, what do you make of that end of the floor through four games? Well, we have done a good job of creating turnovers. We've gotten a lot of deflections, and that's something that we chart every day in practice. One of the key stats is getting our hands uh, on as many balls and passes as we can, and that's going to get us out in the open floor and in transition, and that's when we are at our best. Uh, so, you know, it's at times we get a little overextended, uh, but, you know, a lot of that has gotten us some deflections and, and gotten us out. Uh, like I said, to get to some easy points. Um, you know, I thought last game against South Dakota, we actually had some really good defensive possessions. We were in there tight. We did a solid job keeping out of the paint. Our defensive transition has been really good uh, to this point, and we have to keep that going. We're going to be playing some fast-paced teams here in the next couple, starting on Sunday. This Florida A&M team is really fast. They played Georgia to a really tight game uh, in their last one. I actually had a one-point lead at halftime, and, and I think ended up losing that game only by nine. Uh, lost to Florida Gulf Coast by 10, and they play really fast and really hard. So, you know, it's going to be important to get back 
Uh, we've got Creighton coming up a couple games after that, who obviously is as good as any team in the country uh, in transition because of the way they shoot the ball and spread the floor. So uh, that's going to be important to continue to do a good job with that, with their defensive transition. Uh, but, you know, the thing <clears throat> that I think the, the reason we've, we've gotten deflections, Greg, is because of our length. We, we've got length across the board, really five spots and a lot of the lineups that we've got out there. Uh, we've got versatility. We've been able to switch uh, quite a bit because we've got like-sized players out there. Uh, our blitzes have been good, uh, you know, especially with Ivan. He does a good job getting out, impacting the ball uh, on his pick-and-roll defense. And then again, we've had good active hands, which has uh, generated some turnovers. And, and that's, that's been a big key uh, to the wins that we've gotten. Forcing 19 and a half turnovers a game through four games, that probably total will probably come down to some as teams get more into their season. But that is impressive early on. Okay, so you, you went by 47 against McNeese. Then you get into the Golden Windows tournament and play back-to-back days. Did you notice that in the legs? Because the shots weren't dropping, particularly early in that game against the Wolfpack. Did you notice a little bit of drop-off and maybe some of the energy? You know what, Greg? No, I, I thought our energy was phenomenal, Even maybe even better than it was the first day. We got out to such a good defensive start. The problem is we just didn't finish off uh, the, the open court plays. We missed uh, two layups and two dunks in the first five minutes of that game. That very easily could have been a 14-2 start. Uh, we were up 10-2, and then again missed two of those uh, one layup and one dunk that could have made it 14-2, and then it could be a completely different outcome uh, if you get off to that type of start. But I thought our energy was outstanding uh, early in that game. Unfortunately, the ball just didn't go in the hoop. We ended up shooting nine for 41 from the three-point line. I thought we settled uh, for uh, too many contested ones uh, when things got a little bit difficult for us when the ball wasn't going in as opposed to continuing to move, which we corrected that, did a much better job against North Dakota State, a very good defensive team. Uh, but, yeah, I, you know, some nights that, that thing doesn't go in the hoop, and we still had it tied on the last possession, and, and unfortunately their kids stepped up and made a big shot to win it for them. But, uh, you know, the energy's been there, Greg, and, and that's something that we have to continue to carry over. If we play with great energy every night, we are going to have a chance every time we step on the floor. That, that game, you, you fought your way. You, you were in a hole. You fought your way back. I think you had a 10-point lead with about eight, eight and a half to go in the game. And then sometimes you tip your cap to the other team because the Wolfpack made some plays down the stretch. That three the kid hit at the end of the game was a really difficult shot that he made over the top of Delano. It's not easy to shoot over a 6'9 guy. Yeah, and in, in the, the the tough blow that we had in that stretch, Trey McGowan's was was an absolute beast defensively in that stretch, which get, got us some, uh, some helped us create some turnovers that got us out and stretched that lead. Uh, Delano hit a couple threes in that stretch as well. And, you know, you go up 10, and then Trey gets his fourth, and then they get a couple easy ones. Our shots stop falling, and, and now you got a back-and-forth game at the end. I thought we made some really good offensive plays. Delano had a great and one. Uh, to put us up two with under a minute to play. And then we fouled him too much, Greg. We had our hands, uh, you know, used him way too much, had him in the bonus with about 14 minutes to go in the second half. And that was a huge part of that game. Half their points in the second half were from the free throw line. So, uh, you know, that's something when teams are struggling to score, you can't give them those free points from the line. And we did that too much in that game. And, and especially in that last minute when they were calling it tight, you know, they, they any little hand check, they were calling it. Uh, they stepped up, knocked down their free throws. You know, I thought we had a good two-for-one opportunity. Uh, unfortunately, turned it over. And then, like you said, Sherfield stepped up and made that big shot to win it. Yeah, it was huge. So then you get a day off. What did you What did you do with the day off? Did you get them together? Did you practice before you played NDSU? 
we got together. We, we didn't do a lot. You know, I, I did sense a little bit of fatigue uh, after the back to back. And, you know, we had one day to prepare and they had, I think, th- uh, two days after their two. first game. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, it was a mental day. And that was important. This entire stretch playing the four games in seven days is you have to have good mental preparation heading into those games. I thought the concentration going into that game against North Dakota State, a team that won their league, a team that's got a great winning culture. And we carried that over onto the floor and, again, got off to an unbelievable start, 19-4. to And, uh, you know, again, our, our defense was a huge part of that, forcing turnovers. Uh, we were hitting shots. We, I thought we played with a great swagger and confidence uh, to build that lead. We let them back in it, and they hit a three at the buzzer uh, with under a second to go on a, on a baseline out play where we, we uh, did not execute a switch properly. Uh, but then that second half was probably the best 20 minutes we've played uh, so far in this in this early par- portion of the season. I thought we really shared it. I thought we uh, had great movement those last five, six minutes. I thought we really executed our offense uh, and got a lot of really good plays. It made simple plays, Greg, and that's what it's all about for our team. When we make good, simple, solid, fundamental basketball plays, we're, we're a pretty darn good team. You talked about NDSU, that they have won their conference tournament the last couple of years, that they're a team that's been in the NCAA tournament. Nevada has certainly made progress as a program, and Coach Alford's been a tremendous college basketball coach. So you got a, you got a, your team got a taste of two pretty solid programs in your first three games. I don't want to downplay McNeese State, but they're really not at the level of, of either one of those two. That, that, that at least gives you a bit of a barometer, doesn't it, to where you are? That absolutely does, and throw South Dakota in there as well with the, mm-hmm. with the preseason player of the year. Their point guard, I was really impressed with him, with his poise, with his ability to knock down shots. Uh, they've got good role players. They really drive the ball. Uh, I think those will be two teams uh, in the Summit League that will both be in it right there all the way to the end. So, you know, really good, really good early season games for us. Uh, we have three more in the non-conference season with Florida A&M, with Georgia Tech, and with Creighton. And that's going to give us really good games and, and um, you know opportunities for us heading into conference play, which we'll get a 10-day break after uh, that Creighton game, which is a little bit unique, obviously, at this time of year. But you know, there's nothing normal about this time of year. So, <laughs> no. just uh, just trying to get get ourselves right, uh, continue to make strides. Like I said, I'm excited to practice these three days uh, heading into our next game. I think we need to clean a lot of things up. Uh, and hopefully we put a complete game together, uh, a complete three games together heading into Big Ten play. Coach, how, how difficult, how distracting was the ins and outs of that tournament and getting teams lined up and then it fell off and then it came? I mean, that ha- was what, how much of a distraction was that for the program? Well, we had three games uh, pretty much scouted and we had game plans ready. We had uh, all the paper ready to hand out to our players, to the scouting reports, the game plans. And we lost three games and had to replace them. And it was just such a weird time. And you saw that all over the country. It wasn't just in mm-hmm. our little tournament that we had. Uh, you saw games canceled. You saw teams that couldn't leave their state based on rules uh, from, their, from, uh, from their governors. And it was just one of those things where, uh, you know, you have scouting reports done and it's frustrating uh, when you have that. And then you have a short amount of time to put another game plan together when you finally figure out who you're going to play. Uh, but, you know, that's what this season's going to be about. There's going to be missed games, and you just have to make the most of it and worry about what you can uh, can control. And that's prepare the right way, uh, take care of your body, make the right decisions, uh, and practice well, and, and, and do everything you can to go out and follow the game plan. And, you know, again, in a short amount of time, I thought our guys did a really nice job with that. 
probably affects the coaches a lot more than the players, would be my guess. The players are used to AAU ball and tournaments where they don't even know who they play in the next 30 minutes. You guys, though, are trying to get game plans and all that stuff broken into. Probably affected you, your staff, a lot more than it did the players. Well, it is, and, and that's something that, you know, the amount of time you put into these preps, uh, you go back and you watch several games from last year's teams, yep. you know, even though they don't have a lot of the same personnel, just to see tendencies and what they're running in late game uh, plays what they're doing, uh, the games that they played in the early part of this season. Uh, and then you talk to coaches that you're close with, that you're either in their leagues or, uh, you know, know, know the coach of, of who you're playing against. Uh, and you put a lot of time into it. That was the one thing I didn't think we did a good job yesterday when we talked about that South Dakota prep is we knew they were going to come off and help and try to take charges. And we just kept bowling over them as opposed to coming to a jump stop and making a simple play to the open man. When we went on a run, we did that. We made simple plays. Uh, and that got us going. So the importance of following the game plan, not only defensively, but offensively in making the right reads, it's important. And you put a lot of time into it and, and you hope your team goes out and follows it. And again, I think our team, for the most part, has done that with the exception of offensively last night, especially in that first half. We were just trying to do too much and drive through too many tight spaces. Let's go pick off a few texts for you, Coach. First one, do you have any uh, word on the appeal to shorten Derek Walker's game suspension? Yeah, so Derek's uh, suspension was shortened, and and the way that they did that, the decision was based on the shortened season. The initial suspension was 50% of the uh, full season, which would have been a 31-game season, and then they round up, so that would have been 16. But we got two of them knocked off, uh, so uh, he will miss 14 games. I believe the first game he will be eligible to come back for is the Ohio State game. Okay, so a little bit of good news there. And also on the text line, kind of in the same vein, uh, when would you anticipate Eduardo to be ready to play? Well, hopefully uh, we'll, we'll get word here uh, in the next week on exactly what date uh, we will be able to get him back. Okay, those are both from Mark. Mark, appreciate those questions for the coach. Let's go to Columbus. Brett on the text line just wondering if there's any true centers that we're looking at and recruiting i love what we have we seem to have a lot of the pieces in place go big red again that's brett in columbus yeah appreciate the text brett it's uh we are we we are looking at uh, players all across the board uh you know we feel really good about where we are going into next year with the recruiting class that we just signed uh wilhelm breidenbach is certainly a guy uh, they can play with a smaller lineup. You can play him alongside Ladd. I think that'll be a really potent lineup. Both of those guys can really stretch the floor, and they both got good size, and they can both rebound. Uh, you know, it's been pretty unique the way that everything has played out. You know, when I look at Ladd, he he didn't get a lot of reps in our preseason at the five because we had Ivan, we had Derek, and, and we had uh, Eduardo out there taking the majority of the minutes there. So, you know, when we got early word that we would be without – uh, you know, two of those three centers, Ivan being the other one, uh, we, you know, talked a lot about it as a staff and decided to start Lat at the five and just had a couple of days where we really had him uh, doing a lot of those reps. So we're still getting used to him playing. And that's why I'm excited about these three days of practice coming up is we're going to, you know, put him more in that position of the position he's playing most right now on the floor, which is, you know, kind of that small ball five position that he's playing. And, uh, you know, he's done a great job. He had 12 rebounds last night. I believe that was a career high for him. And, you know, we're going to need that. Obviously, we struggled. That was the one area I thought we really struggled against North Dakota State was on the glass. Uh, and again, with the length that we're going to be facing here 
in the next couple games, uh, starting with our game on Sunday. It's a length, lengthy athletic team. Uh, we're going to have to take care of the glass, and that'll give us transition opportunities. When we do rebound it, we are really effective in getting up the floor, but we got to secure that ball and gang rebound. And with the lineup the way we are right now, it's going to take a five-man effort. So when you get those two back, you would anticipate both kind of being a part of your rotation. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, well, I mean, we'll see how it plays out, Greg. But yeah. both those guys gave us really good moments. <clears throat> you know, Derek gives us an experienced, big frontline body that played in the SEC. You know, it was part of NCAA tournament teams. Uh, Eduardo has just made unbelievable strides uh, since he's been here. Again, he's still new to the game, hasn't been playing that long, but he's got great instincts. And, you know, you'll see that. He's got rim-protecting uh, 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 qualities in his game because, because of that length and speed and athleticism. So uh, we'll see how it goes. I mean, obviously there's going to be a little time uh, before we have to make those decisions. But, uh, yeah, I can see both those guys having an impact on our team. Very good. Okay, John in Omaha on our text line. Coach, how do you focus on increasing free throw percentage without actually causing more issues, making the guys think too much? Uh, it's a great question. I, you know, the, <clears throat> you look at a guy like Teddy, who was an 88% free throw shooter a year ago, and, you know, I don't know if he, the one free throw he shot yesterday, he's – stepped about four feet behind the line because he was just a hair long and he missed it short of course so yeah it's you know it just gets a little bit mental we, we shot him actually really well until the last minute where we missed i think five to six to finish that game uh but before that we actually uh, were shooting a very good percentage and i again i'm confident uh, as we continue on and guys continue to get used to me putting those situations in real game uh, when they get real game opportunity, that those percentages will increase. Our, our guys, they're, they're too good as shooters uh, for the percentages to stay where they are. Teddy was an excellent shooter at the junior college level, wasn't he, from the foul line? Wasn't he from the foul line? Well, I'd say 88% is pretty damn good, yeah. Whew. Yeah. All right, Wyatt in Alma for you, Coach. What's your biggest pitch to recruits when you're trying to sell Nebraska basketball? Yeah, it's it's a it's a great question. It's uh, you know, I think the thing that we have here, we got everything you need. Uh, you know, the one thing we don't have is uh, you know, the tradition of of being a perennial NCAA team, uh, you know, that's that's gone deep into the tournament. But, you know, we fully anticipate that we're going to get there. And, you know, the biggest things that I sell with what we have here at Nebraska is the the fan support is as good as any I've ever seen. Uh, and then you look at the uh, the facilities. Our facilities are absolutely phenomenal. And when you have those two things uh, and you get the kids on campus and they see how beautiful the campus is and what a great town Lincoln is and all the support that they get for being a student athlete here, uh, all the things that we have here for the student athletes with the sports scientists. We have a guy, Chris Bach, who is absolutely off the charts as valuable as anybody on our staff he's a guy that monitors all of our workloads he and i get together every week and put a practice plan together based on where the workloads of our players are every time they come into the gym uh, they wear a monitor uh, to show exactly where they are they do a jump test in the morning to see how fresh they are if they've increased we can work them a little harder in practice if those jump numbers are down we may have to take it a little bit easier uh, on them uh, nutrition plans that we have here we have a full-time nutritionist that, that travels with us. Uh, style of play is a big selling point for what we do uh, with the speed that we play with, having the 16th fastest pace in the country last year, third amongst power five schools. Uh, NBA connections are very important and having a track record of helping get guys to that level. 
when they play in the Power Five leagues, uh, you know, they they want opportunities and with the style of play and with 19 years of experience in that league as a player, as a coach, and as a general manager, uh, those things matter. Uh, at Iowa State, you know, 10 of our players in five years played in the NBA, and those weren't McDonald's All-Americans walking through the door. We took two-star, three-star, you know, a couple four-star kids and had a really good development plan to put those kids on track to give them a chance and to give them an opportunity. And that stuff matters when you see that you have, uh, you know, players that come in, in the door that aren't already pros like some of those programs get and you put a plan together to help them get the chance. Uh, you know, that's important. Those kids want to see that. So there's a lot of things that we can sell. And again, when you look at what we've done in a short amount of time, you know, really having, you know, Thor is the only returner in year one when we took over, uh, you know, to put a team together in a short amount of time and really kind of flip the roster to where we are now. And then to have the 19th ranked recruiting class uh, in the 2021 group, you know, I think our future is extremely bright and we're going to continue on. We had several Zoom calls with 2022 kids today uh, that we're really trying to build relationships with right now. Uh, we can't get out and see them. Obviously, right now, they can't come to campus until at least April. That's when they extended the dead period, too. But, uh, you know, when the time comes, when we get them here, there's a lot to offer. And, and, and again, we feel really good about our future and, and the things that are happening here. Buckle up, put the phone down. It's a reminder from the NDOT Highway Safety Office. You've played four games. All four have been on BTN, the conference network station that is on pretty much every satellite provider around the country and some cable systems throughout the country. How big of, how big is that, too, for, for young men who come to Nebraska to play but they maybe grew up in California or Florida or New Jersey or wherever it may be? How big is it that it's on BTN? Pretty much every game you play at least is going to be on BTN. Yeah, well, we, we do have the best TV package in the country of any league. Yeah. And, you know, we, we, we're we uh, partners with not only BTN, but with Fox, uh, with ESPN, and also with CBS. So, you know, to have those four major networks there to, uh, you know, where our games are always going to be on, uh, you know, that's that's another big point to, you know, a kid like Wilhelm, who mm-hmm. comes from California. We look at the McGowan's family from South Carolina. They're able to watch every single game uh you know obviously they'd love to travel to some of them they can't do that right now but you know at least they're able to watch uh all the games on national television uh you look at what we're doing we're playing on christmas this year which i thought was a really cool idea by the league we're going to play michigan uh at home on christmas day Uh, you know something that you see a lot in the nba so that's going to be a cool experience for our players and for the families but yeah that that's that's another big thing that we have is is a great tv package for our families to watch their kids play Tonight, it's the Nebraska Women's Basketball Show right here on the Husker Sports Network. The play stolen by Trinity Brady. She threw a pass ahead to Sam Hobby. Back to Brady. Puts it up and scores. That was all Trinity Brady. Our weekly look inside Husker Women's Basketball. Drives it. KK blocked it. KK blocked it. That's the 100th block of the season for KK. And that ties her Nebraska record. With the head coach, Amy Williams. Deep three for Hamilton. Late shot clock. Not good. KK her 11 3 Huskers two-point lead of the ball. Whitey Shahed, Sam Hybe left wing. She'll take a three. Yeah! Betcha! Hybe with a huge three to give Nebraska a five-point lead. Nuggets. Sponsored in part by your Midwest Ford dealers. Visit online at yourmidwestforddealers.com. Now here's your host, Matt Coatney. Well, our first show of December, and it feels good to be talking about a game coming up. 
uh, this week. Not only one game, but two games. Amy Williams is with us. I'm Matt Coatney, and it's great having you with us for the Nebraska Women's Basketball Radio Show. We'll take your calls tonight at 531-500-4686. That's also our U.S. Cellular text line, 531-500-4686. We have the coach uh, for the entire hour here. And Amy Williams, before we get going, how was your Thanksgiving this year? Matt, it was um, it was fantastic. It was good to be uh, with my family. My husband was FaceTiming with his mom to get um, all the cooking recipes, and, and he um, absolutely prepared a fantastic meal. And it was just, it was odd because normally we are uh, out of town, out of state with our team, usually at some sort of a Thanksgiving classic. So yeah. um, just a strange thing to be at home, but um, but uh, very grateful for that opportunity to have some family time. Well, this is uh, our first show where we're actually going to be talking about opponents coming up. The Huskers open the regular season this Friday night. Oral Roberts will be at Pinnacle Bank Arena at 6 o'clock Central, and then just about 48 hours later, Idaho State uh, is at PBA on Sunday. That's a 5 o'clock start. Two games in 48 hours. You could have started, according to the NCAA, back uh, as early as Wednesday, November the 25th. What kind of led to you not opening the season there at the end of November and, and opening this Friday? Well, there were um, some some uh, COVID reasons for us to be able to have to delay the start to our season, but um, we are certainly excited to be in a position where it's like we're, we're looking at a couple of games this weekend and just kind of crossing our fingers. I think we've been seeing across the country how quickly that can shift oh, yeah. and, and um, with the very stringent protocols that um, the Big Ten has for non-conference games and non-conference opponents it's it almost feels like that um, at any point you can play one it's uh, it's a it's a huge blessing and you just take uh, take that and and you know I know we're we're definitely being cautious and safe um, within our conference and our league and playing things very uh, very protective and tight and so I think that's a, a smart thing to do but it certainly makes it um, common more common than we would like to see games kind of shuffling and getting canceled last minute and um, you know I think that's going to be the name of the game this season we're just going to have to be ready and willing to adjust. 531-500-4686 if you'd like to talk to Coach Amy Williams tonight. You know, I've been doing this a long time, but sometimes I'm not the smartest guy. I was sitting there the other day thinking, I think I'm actually overprepared for our next two opponents. And then I thought, well, that's because I never get to see our opponents before we play them usually uh, at the start of the season. Because if you're going to watch any tape or, or film on your opponents, it's from the previous season. But, you know, I've seen ORU play. I've seen Idaho State play. How different has this been for you, not only um, getting to actually see an opponent early in the season, but then having them kind of back-to-back after you didn't play for a while? Yeah, it's uh, it's very unique. I think there are positives and negatives, plus and minus. You know, we 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 are, um, you know, considering it a positive thing that we've had 
a chance to take a peek at our first couple of opponents this weekend, and we've seen them play. But also, you know, they've got a couple games under their belt, and sometimes that um, is an advantage where um, just, you know, there's usually a little bit of nerves. There's a little bit of rust that you kind of need to knock off in those uh, first game or two. And, and, you know, they've had that opportunity to do that, and, and they're coming in um, just a little bit more uh, rehearsed, and, and we are – um, we are going to be kind of, you know, in that new phase. And so there's, there's pluses and minuses, but certainly feels, uh, feels just exciting. And our players are just, just eager to, to have the opportunity to be back on the court. You know, um, Jeff Grish, who is the media relations director for the team, in addition to being our color analyst here on the Oscar Sports Network, has his game notes out. And he put in the game notes that you were fi- finally able to have as many as 10 players practice at the same time earlier this week. That's got to be challenging trying to run a practice with when you can't have, you know, two full teams or 10 players. How, how challenging has it been, you know, just trying to get ready to play a game here? Well, it's definitely presented a, a huge challenge for us. And the main reason is because, you know, this is a team that has a lot of new faces, a lot of new place, uh, you know, people trying to learn each other and, and gain chemistry and try to gel and um, four transfers and three freshmen and just, you know, lots of new players that needed um, all the reps they could get. And our team needed as much time as we could get together and, um, out of 11 weeks of practice, I think just, you know, just a handful of practices where we had more than, you know, seven players in practice, yes, yes. you know, sometimes six uh, players um, practicing. So uh, definitely poses some challenges to a new team that's really trying to get repetition and learning a new system, trying to get repetition and learning new teammates, um, trying to build that chemistry and, and learn to gel. And, and so, you know, we know that that's presented some challenges and we're, um, we're prepared for that. We understand that, um, you know, uh, probably just, you know, any time that you have a player that's going to miss, you know, uh, extended time, whether it's from a broken nose or a concussion protocol or um, whether it's from COVID, you know, uh, taking out for multiple weeks, it takes some time to get your condition level built back up to get that chemistry and gel and those are things we're still working um, hard uh, towards and and we know that uh, it's going to present an opportunity for this team to really show a lot of uh, growth from where we're at to where we're going and and um, we're excited for that growth. Amy Williams is with us on the Nebraska Women's Basketball Radio Show. The phone number is 531-500-4686. You know, you can just write down in any other year that's not 2020 that every team's going to play at least one exhibition game. And what's been in vogue the last, I want to say, half a dec- decade is playing a closed scrimmage against a Division One team. Uh, I know you've done that several times. Nobody played any exhibition games this year. Nobody played any closed scrimmages. Um, you know, for your freshmen, I'm looking at Whitney Brown, and I'm thinking, do they know how to do the layup line? Do they know how to do the warm-ups before the game? I mean, how much is not having an exhibition game or a closed scrimmage do you think uh, going to affect you on Friday night? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely something that, you know, there's a reason why we've had those close scrimmages and um, exhibition games as kind of a trial run in practice. There's a ton of value in it. And so when that is taken off the table and no longer an option, I mean, we've done everything in our power to try to simulate an inner squad type of uh, scrimmage where we practice our warm-ups and we practice kind of with the um, fake kind of crowd noise in the arena and, you know, some of those things. But I think until you're actually out there and tipping it up against somebody um, else, it's it's really hard to, to always kind of fully simulate that. But I think uh, we're as prepared as we can be given those things kind of being taken off the table. 531-500-4686 if you'd like to visit with a coach on the Sports Nightly Hotline. It's brought to you by Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. All right, let's talk about strengths of the team. I think it's easy to look at Kate Kane coming back, Izzy Bourne coming back, Bella Cravens with a tremendous Division One experience, uh, all as Division One forwards at a high level. So, is the strength of this team uh, up front? Is that fair to say right now? Uh, yeah, I think that this team is working incredibly hard to try to create that balance that we desire and having you know some threats from the perimeter. But I do think that uh, most the most experience that we have comes in that front court and and um, uh, being able to to really depend on you know uh, Kate Kane with the experience that she's had and and then. Um, also, uh, Izzy Bourne, who's really, I think, stepped up and made great improvements from her freshman year into this sophomore year, stepped into role of one of our, one of our team captains. And, um, and I think those two have been really strong leaders in that post position. And, and Bella brings something. She's a nice athlete that's just got a nose for the ball and really adds something with rebounding. And then really even, um, you know, the addition of Annika Stewart to, um, is a is really our best three point threat from uh, probably from those uh, post positions and really has a lot of confidence there and can post up and use her strength around the basket but also uh, very very much a threat from behind the arc and so I think you know all of those kids uh, really bring something to the table for us. All right, so there's the front court. You know, it was pretty easy the last four years to know that Hannah Whitish would get a lot of time at the point guard if she wasn't starting. Sam Hybe slid over there uh, quite a bit for you the last couple of years. Hannah has graduated. Now, who do you see as being the point guard, or do you plan on playing several different people there? Yeah, I think there will be several different people that can play minutes there. And one thing we always try to recruit to is just versatile guards that can um, play multiple positions and can, you know, can play the point and slide off the point and be a threat. And and we like that versatility in our guards. And I think, um, you know, Sam Hybe is definitely a candidate and has played some experience uh, for her first couple of seasons here at the point position. Uh, Mackenzie Helms has um, showed some improvements from her freshman year to her sophomore year, just being able to uh, be a little healthier and have more repetition. Um, and and I really feel like that we've been seeing some really good things out of Ashley Scoggin in the point guard position as well. And, and she's definitely a, 
uh, capable three-point threat, very aggressive-minded offensively, but um, you know can really um, you know run an offense as well. So uh, there's multiple people that we feel confident to be able to kind of step in and and um, handle that point guard duty. You know, um, Amy, you, you had a really good three-point threat in Taylor Kissinger, who led the nation in three-point field goal percentage a couple of years ago, had to retire because of the hip medical situation. She's staying with the team as a student assistant. But, um, you know, at that three position, there there's kind of a hole there from what you thought you'd have this year. Uh, who steps in there to give you production at that three position? Yeah, I mean, I think mostly um, we're in a position where we're going to be depending on, you know, it's going to take a whole team effort to try to replace the three-point um, production that we got out of Taylor Kissinger. I think it's not going to be just one person, but several people stepping up and being a threat from back there. But, um, you know, I think right now we've been seeing some really good things out of Trinity Brady. She's showing a lot more confidence and, and um, you know, defensively, um, she's, you know, really solid option for us at that three position. I think uh, Ruby Porter, um, our our freshman Australian, um, has has uh, shown uh, an ability to score in bunches, and you know, just working on consistency like you you want, um, you know, it's very typical for from uh, freshman players. But I think you know those are a couple of candidates that can really. Um, be options and available for us in that three position. And, you know, the one thing that I think, you know, we've tried to do this whole preseason and we've been forced to do it a little bit with just players being out and things, but we've challenged our kids different, different ways. And, um, you know, we might, you know, play segments of practice where Izzy Bourne is having to play at the three spot and she's really handled that well and she's extended her range and she's her ball handling has improved. She sees passes because she's, you know, got good size and height on the perimeter and um, you know, so there are some different options that we have available to us um, in that three position. So you have two natives of Australia on the roster. Have you had to take classes in understanding? I mean, obviously they speak English, but they don't speak yeah. Nebraskan or South Dakota. I mean, have you had to like brush up on your Aussie, Amy? Um, yeah, I will say that um, I think Izzy, for the most part, really kind of adjusts like um, her kind of uh, terminology and the way she talks, you know, when she's here probably compared to um, when she's home. Uh, but there's been a couple things that Ruby has caught me just a little off guard and I have to kind of uh, ask myself, okay, what, what is she getting at with that one? You know, but um, I absolutely adore kind of listening to them uh, talk and their lingo and, and um, just, you know, it's just been an absolute blessing to have those two young ladies in our program. Hey, you have no idea how much I love talking about basketball, especially when we didn't play in November, but the Huskers will be taking on ORU. This Friday night at 6 o'clock Central, Jeff Grish and I will have the call at 545 Central on many of these Husker Sports Network stations, and then uh, less than 48 hours later, Idaho State in here at 5 o'clock p.m. on Sunday. Amy Williams is with us on the Nebraska Women's Basketball Radio Show. This is our second Nebraska Women's Basketball Radio Show. We did a pretty good job in our last show of kind of talking about the returning players. And then I thought we did a pretty good job of going through 
uh, the freshmen, but um, we we also went through your signing class, which was uh, you know a top twenty five signing class. But we, we've not really talked too much about some of the transfers you brought in, which are going to be extremely important. So uh, I want to talk a little bit first about Ashley Scoggin, who uh, is listed as a sophomore, but um, she's a little older than that just because of injuries she's had in her career. She's a really, really good three-point shooter out of Salt Lake Community College, five foot seven, and I think she can play a variety of positions for you. So tell me what attracted you to getting Ashley here and what is her role going to be on this team? Well, I, I will say that uh, my favorite thing about Ashley and in the recruiting process that stood out in a hurry is she's just very incredibly mature and um, she has a different perspective because she has been through some adversity with, um, with injury, just um, dating back to high school, what kind of affected her um, her recruitment, just the timing of, of that injury, but just her perseverance to kind of um, fight through um, some, some, you know, some issues, uh, a surgery that was maybe botched a little and, and a second, you know, ACL tear because of that. And then, um, you know, being in a position to have to kind of come back. I think there's a lot of people that really would have probably crumbled or, um, you know, called it quits. And she just is her maturity and her ability to fight through adversity and, and to, um, you know, just appreciate every, uh, every chance she has to be in the gym. She is um, an absolute gym rat, wants to just work, work, work. She's just constantly in the gym. Doesn't matter, you know, day off or, you know, before practice or after practice. I mean, she just spends a lot of time getting after it and it pays, it shows um, she, she definitely uh, has um, the confidence that comes when you spend that much time in the gym. Our uh, U.S. Cellular text line is 531-500-4686. Uh, Larry has sent us a text, you know, based on what we were talking about before the break about Ruby Porter and Izzy Bourne both being from Australia. He says, hi, how do they find players from down under? Let Coach know good luck this season. Uh, that's Larry. So Larry is trying to figure out how have you been able to get uh, people out of Australia? What's been the, the path to success down there for you in recruiting? Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks, Larry, for the text and the question and, and the good luck wishes. And uh, I appreciate that. And um, I will say that um, my coaching staff and I have uh, been blessed and fortunate, even uh, really before we came to Nebraska and we had a couple of really good uh, Australian players that played for us. Um, when we were still uh, at the University of South Dakota. And um, when you have players like that that, um, that have had a great experience with your coaching staff and, and really um, you, you make some connections over there, and it's been interesting just um, the way that our connections from previous Aussies that we've coached, but also you know people like Kelsey Griffin, who, who had just an incredible experience Experience here at Nebraska, and then you know Kelsey Griffin is is training with a kid like Izzy Bourne, you know, and um, that certainly doesn't hurt when um, 
when, uh, you know, Izzy can go, Izzy and her family can go to uh, someone like Kelsey and ask questions about Nebraska and what it's like and, you know, the fan base and, you know, and, and Kelsey just, um, you know, gushes about, you know, her experience here at Nebraska and, and everything that Nebraska stands for. I think that's been helpful. But um, Tom Gailey, I would say, is really the, um, the ticket there, Tom has spent a lot of time recruiting overseas in general, but uh, particularly in Australia, and he has uh, formed and built a lot of very good relationships with uh, coaches and uh, people over in Australia that um, that tend to um, lead to tips about great players like Ruby and Izzy, and um, it's certainly something that, uh, you know, we've just been very fortunate to have some great relationships with people that uh, have led us to, to those two young ladies. The Nebraska Women's Basketball Radio Show brought to you in part by Dorothy Lynch. Dorothy Lynch home style and lean and light dressing, endless flavor abilities uh 531-500-4686 if you'd like to talk to the coach or text in that's our u.s cellular text line uh we, we were talking about ashley scoggin talking about the newcomers another newcomer that i think is going to have an impact is uh, bella cravens we we mentioned her during the opening segment a transfer from eastern washington uh she led the conference in the Big Sky Conference in rebounds at 8.5. She had six double-doubles. This is a player who's got experience playing in a good Division One league, and not only a good Division One league, the league that your second opponent this weekend comes from. Um, so when, when you get somebody who's a transfer like this, uh, is it easier to coach or do you have to like kind of change some of the things that maybe they've learned that are different with your teams, but how has Bella fit into that kind of culture? Yeah, Bella has fit in fantastic. And uh, the most exciting thing for myself and our staff is she's really just scratching the surface um, in our opinion. I think um, she's a great athlete. She's very springy and she has a nose for the ball. And that's one of the reasons why she's um, a good rebounder, but um, I think the most uh, pleasant surprise for me has just been, you know, she has a soft touch. She finishes around the rim. She um, she can score, um, you know, uh, right now she's really confident out to about 15 to 18 feet, and, and she's really gaining confidence even from um, from the playing away from the basket the more that um, she gets that opportunity to do so. And, and we just feel like her best basketball is, in front of her and um you know she's just scratching the surface on how good she really can be and and uh, we're just so excited about uh what she brings to the table and and the things that she continues to learn she's very coachable uh she wants to be coached you know she's you know eager to you know come in and she does not get um tired when you know we we put her through uh the same ball handling drills every day you know because she's just hungry and eager to make improvements and get better and um this is a great attitude and uh we're, we're so excited about what she can do amy williams is with us on the nebraska women's basketball radio show huskers and oru friday night at six o'clock central in the season opener um another transfer is a name that Husker fans will remember from the class that graduated last year, Michael Caton, 
is going to be a junior in eligibility, even though she's already graduated, uh, got her got her bachelor's degree. Five foot nine, originally committed here, went to Cal, has had some injury issues, but I know she is super athletic, and I know you're very happy that. Mike Cole, for lack of a better term, came home. I know she's always loved Nebraska, but where does she kind of fit into the mix here? Yeah, I mean, Mike Cole um, is is currently not um, 100% cleared to play injury-wise, but she has been um, uh, allowed to do some things in practice that give us enough snippets to say, wow, you know, and, and she just has a, a different level, a different speed, a different athleticism, you know, and, um, you know, we're eager for her. She's made such progress. She's working so hard to uh, get herself back to healthy and and cleared to be on that court. And uh, our whole team knows that, you know, she brings an element uh, to our team that uh, we just don't have without her. And so uh, we're all eager for that day here uh, real soon where she's going to get the the word that she's cleared to to get up and down and be back on the court with us. And, And we think, you know, we feel very optimistic that that will will happen here sometime this semester and and just excited to have her back out on the court um, with us let's talk a little bit about uh, another transfer this one um, from Texas Tech and a native of Sacramento and Naila Dillard uh, a guard five foot nine played 23 games for the Lady Raiders last year Uh, how does she uh, how does she fit into uh, what you plan to do this year well, the one thing that's super exciting about Naila is I would say um, she has the ability to really impact the, uh, the, the game on both sides of the court equally. I mean, she's, uh, she's definitely a defensive stopper, and I know um, in her first year of college basketball, she was definitely counted on and utilized as a defensive stopper where she'd just have to you know, be strong fighting through screens and, and guard the other team's best player and, and really be that um, uh, impact, you know, defender. Uh, but she also is a very good three-point shooter. She can score it in a lot of different ways. Uh, one thing with Naila right now is uh, she's she's nursing some injury and it's, it's um, you know, it's, it's kind of touch and go uh, on on her and you know we'll have to see if we can get her healthy um, to see her on the court this season or not. That's Amy Williams. I'm Matt Coatney. 